0: Uh, We're in the book of Acts. We're in in Acts chapter 22. Now, if you look at the bulletin or you get the weekly email, you'll see that it says Acts 23. Now, I want you to know that Lynn and I were out on the Grand River fishing. Actually, she was catching, I was not. Um, But, uh, and it caused a little bit of a panic because Pastor Chris is preaching on Acts 23. Next week, and um, suddenly he saw that email come out and see because the other guys they get a little bit more time to prepare their messages because they're not every week, and so he, I got this this text like, are you preaching on X twenty three? Because I thought you were on X twenty two. My mistake. Okay, when I got the, the scripture passage and that's lengthy, I go and I make all the verse numbers superscript instead of regular size. I don't think they show up that way up there, but I just it just has to look right to me. And then I went to type in the sermon title and the scripture passage reference and all that, and I just typed twenty-three. I'd love to say it was Kendra's fault or Marin's fault, but it was my fault. So we're in Acts twenty-two. If you pre-read and got all prepared, that's good for next week. So we'll see you back then. Now Acts twenty two, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna catch you up. Um, those of you who are here just are here for the baptisms, we just let you kind of know what we've been doing. Catch you up from last week and then give you some context of what's just happened when our story starts here. And then we'll read Acts chapter 22. And I'll pause one or two times in the midst of it just to give you a little bit more uh, instruction on it. Um, so last week, Paul had been compelled. We, we, we heard, learned that he's been compelled by the Holy Spirit who lives within him that he needs to go up to Jerusalem for uh, the the Feast of Pentecost. He feels like God is saying you must be there at that time. But he also has felt this this compulsion that every time he goes into a new town, the Holy Spirit's saying, just so you know, imprisonment, hardship, difficulties are all in your future. And there's been plenty of it already. In fact, we, we find out, not today, but in Acts chapter 9, that Paul was called to suffering. Now, he... He had this sense that he needed to go up to Jerusalem, but his friends, the Holy Spirit kind of told them, Look, it's going to go bad for Paul. So they felt like the Spirit was saying, Stop him from going. And God even sent a prophet that says, took off Paul's belt and wrapped it around his arms and his feet. And he said, The owner of this belt, this is what's going to happen to you when you go off to Jerusalem. And and so they were trying to convince Paul not to go. And he said, Stop breaking my heart. I got to go. And so he went. And when he got there, just like today, I know we think we're much more enlightened and we're a much more modern uh, civilization than they were then, but, but they do the same things we do. They, they hear bits and pieces, and all these Jews from the Diaspora, that's just the spread out Jews from around the world, they all come back for Pentecost, the Feast of First Fruits, and they heard bits and pieces of this guy named Saul who became Paul and what he's preaching about Jesus. And they get bits and pieces, and then they make up stories. I don't know if you've ever seen this. I know this never happens on the internet or Twitter or Facebook. It's always no one, everyone is completely truthful. Um, but sometimes someone might say something in a speech or they might misspeak something in a speech, some political figure or celebrity or business owner or something. They say something and then someone goes, well, that means this. And then this person writes an article about what they said. And now this person's hated. They need to lose their job. They should be cast out of, of, of human existence and da, 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 da. Still happens today. Happened then. Bunch of people heard bits and pieces of what Paul had been doing and they all gathered Jerusalem and they all started talking about it. Now, when Paul shows up to Jerusalem, his friends that know him and love him and know that God called him, they're trying to say to him, they all think you've gone astray. They think you're speaking against God, against the law, against Judaism. Um, So here's what you should do, Paul. We've got four guys that'll do this with you. They've made a vow to make sure that they kind of keep you safe. And they're going to, we want you to walk through the ritual purification that takes about seven days so that everyone will know that you're a good Jew. And so Paul agrees to do it because he has no problem with the law. He has no problem about doing what God, what he grew up doing. And so they go through this process and everyone in Jerusalem is all around the temple. And just before this ritual purification is over, someone recognizes him and they start accusing him of things and they rile up the whole city and the whole city comes and they get Paul and they start to bludgeon him. They start to beat him. And I mean hundreds of people. Everyone wants their shot. shot. They're, they're kicking him. They're beating on him. He's probably, I'm sure he's bloodied. And he probably has broken bones. And the, the, the Romans, they're the ones in charge militarily. They see this and they're like, they just want peace. They just want peace in their city. So they grab Paul. And they ask, what's going on? And one person says this and one person says another thing. And so they take him and they pull him aside and they, they put him in chains. Hands and feet, just like the prophet had said. And they want to know what's the problem. Now, somehow Paul, after being beaten, after being bloodied, now arrested and chained, he has the presence of mind to ask the Roman commander, can I speak to those people? Now, they were going to beat him. The, the, the Romans were going to, well, we'll get to that more in the story here in a second. But they were going to do awful things to him to get him. To tell them why they were beating him. It's a little, it's an odd, odd thing. But I want you to watch for a couple of things. One, I want you to try to figure out what God's doing. Two, I want you to see the character of Paul. And then three, I want you to remember what we talked about last week, that some people are called to suffering. I'm not saying that of you, but Paul in his conversion experience, and I'll, I'll mention it in a minute, but Paul in his conversion experience, the guy that went to give Paul back his sight, God told him that Paul was called the suffering. I don't think that's most of our call, but there's something about God in this passage that sometimes we miss. So let's say a prayer, ask God to tell us what he wants us to hear, to give me the words that, that I'm supposed to use, and then we'll read the story. Almighty God, we bless you, we praise you, we thank you for who you are. For what you do for us, for what you do in us, and for what you want to do through us. Lord, I ask that you give us eyes to see what you want us to see, and ears to hear what you want us to hear, and soften hearts to receive that which you want to accomplish in us. And Lord, if there's something I plan to say that you don't want said, I don't want to say it. Convict me of it, but do not let me speak it to your people. But if there is something that you want said that I haven't thought of in prayer and study, then I ask you to make it burn within me. Make it sh- make me sure that it's of you, and I will speak your word to your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name, for His glory, for His sake. Amen. Now, I was asked last week why I keep putting my glasses on and taking them off, just put them on, take them off, just leave them on, because I would think instantly improved vision would be something everyone would be after, right? But with hearing aids and this little microphone thing, and I put this on here, it feels lopsided. So when I start feeling self-conscious, I just take them off. Okay, that's if it's if it's too ADD for you. Well. Now, he just asked permission to speak to the people who were just beating him. And so he speaks up and he says, brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. And when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Now, what's going on right there is... is is. Everyone didn't know what it was Paul was being accused of. They just saw, hey, here's an enemy. We're all beating him. Some people thought he was uh, an Egyptian terrorist who had riled up God's people, brought them to a place, assured them of God's uh, protection, and then the Romans came and murdered most of those people, but that terrorist got away. Some people thought it was him. So he starts speaking in Aramaic, which is their native tongue, and so they're like, oh, this isn't who I thought it was, and they got quiet. Listen to my defense. And Paul said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, meaning Jerusalem, under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, that means Christians, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them, the high priest and the council, to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, now here's a place where Paul diverges from, we, there's two accounts of Paul's conversion. One is in Acts chapter 9 and the other one is right here in Acts 22. Paul is sharing his story. I don't know if you've ever shared your story. All of us have a testimony. Some of us, which is what every parent hopes for. um, Some of us can't remember a time where they weren't walking with the Lord. They can't remember a time when they weren't a Christian. And then people go, well, I don't really have a good testimony because I just always remember being a Christian. That's a great testimony. That's phenomenal that you don't ever remember a time when you were an enemy of God. Praise God for that. Encourage the rest of us with that, that's awesome. But sometimes when you tell your story, you highlight certain pieces and you don't change them. You just choose not to lift up. Other, like for example, um, if I'm in the hospital with someone who's terrified to have a surgery, I've had 14 surgeries. I'm good at this. I'm very, I'm more qualified than most of my surgeons. I'm the only guy I know that has my orthopedic surgeon. He's my guy. I bought his jet ski in his cottage. Well, Priority Health did. Um, But... You know, the first surgery I ever had, my shoulder was dislocating, and, and, and I wanted it fixed because I was going to be the next Dave Rosemont for the Tigers, and if you know who that is, I'm dating myself. Um, you know, and I, everything, I just wanted it fixed. I was kind of looking forward to it because it's kind of cool to have a big sling and all that stuff. But there was a time when I was terrified. In June of 1989, um, I, just, I had this van accident that had, messed, that had severed uh, two nerves and an artery in my arm. My hand was completely numb. I'd just gotten back to work because I'd lost most of the blood on my body. Uh, I was at a camp. Lynn and I weren't dating yet or we were dating, but we weren't engaged yet. We knew that it was a serious relationship, but I hopped down a hill at this camp and broke everything below my left knee. And they took me to the med center, and I was like, you know, you kind of muscle through it, especially because your girlfriend's there, and you just want to be kind of cool about it. But they came in, and they tried to reduce or set the leg, and when they did that, there, there was a tendon that had wrapped around one of the broken pieces of the bone, and they decided that I had to have surgery. And they told me that, and I lost it. I didn't, I don't remember it. It was so emotionally traumatic, apparently, but my wife who's now my, my woman, my girlfriend, who's now my wife, she remembers it. And I was terrified. I was weeping, and I don't know if I was cursing or not, but I do know that it, at that moment, it's like, this is my life. I just got over and was healing from this major surgery. I'm terrified, and it felt like God is out to get me. Why did he let this happen? So if I'm sitting in the hospital room with someone who's terrified and feels like, why did God let this happen? That's, the, that's, the, that's what I'm going to highlight. Did I understand? I get it. I've been there. Paul Paul highlights certain things in his testimony because the people out there understand light and darkness and God always represents light. And so he speaks of this great light that it was at noon. That's a detail that we don't have in the earlier version of the story. And the earlier version of the story that people could hear a voice, but they didn't understand it, but it doesn't speak much of the light. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. It just means that Paul decided to highlight it about noon as i came near damascus suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me and i felt the ground uh, i fell to the ground and i heard a voice say saul saul why do you persecute me who are you lord i'm jesus of nazareth whom you are persecuting my companions saw the light but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me what shall i do lord get up and go into damascus there you will there you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias, I'm gonna pause right there. Ananias, um, in the original telling of the story, um, Paul, uh, Paul's conversion, he gets sent to, to, to a house on Straight Street in Damascus. It's that specific. And uh, God appears to, 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 Paul, to Saul, who's gonna become Paul, and says, there, Ananias is gonna come and he's gonna help you get your sight back. God appears to Ananias and he says, I want you to go to Saul of Tarsus. So he's on this house on straight street. And I want you to tell him that his vision is going to come back. And Ananias rebuts God. And he says, Whoa, hold on. I've heard about this guy. He murders people like me. Are you sure? And God says this, I will show Paul, Saul, how much he must suffer for my name. That's God's call. To Saul, who became Paul. Now, I don't think it's everyone's call, but Paul knew from the beginning that suffering was in his forecast. And every time it happened, God continued to give him strength, to give him perseverance, and to, have, to compel him to speak the truth. Now, the story goes from there. It says this, a man Ananias came to see me. Uh, he was a devout observer of the law. Again, he's making his bona fides here. He's trying to show, that, look, people that you respect, trust me highly respected by all the Jews living there he stood beside me and said brother Saul receive your sight and at that very moment i was able to see him then he said the god of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one the meaning jesus and to hear words from his mouth you will be his you'll be his witness to all men and what you have seen of what you have seen and heard and now What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. And when I returned to Jerusalem, says Paul, to the people that were just beating him, when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw the Lord speaking, quick, leave Jerusalem immediately, because you will not accept, or they will not accept the testimony, your testimony about me. And then Paul rebutted God, and he said, Lord, These men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was being shed, shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. In other words, they know I was like them. And if I had this experience, they'll get it. And God said, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Now, just to finish the story, the crowd listened to Paul until he had said this, this idea that God loves the Gentiles. They got so enraged about that that they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. And they, as they were shouting, throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to, be, to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who wasn't even who hasn't even been found guilty. The centurion heard this. He went to the commander to report it. What are you going to do? He's a Roman citizen. And the commander went to Paul and he asked him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? I am. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship. I was born a citizen, says Paul. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in the chains. Now, there's a lot here that's just cool, factual stuff. As an example, um, Roman citizens, kind of like U.S. citizens, have certain rights bestowed upon them. And they, you, cannot, you can flog a Roman citizen, but only if he's been tried by the government, found guilty, and sentenced to flogging. You can chain a Roman citizen, but only if he's been tried by the government has been found guilty and part of his sentence is to chain him. So this commander is scared to death that he's going to get in trouble for doing something he never should have done. But what he was doing is he's pulling Paul out of this place where he's being beaten and then they were going to beat him to find out why those people were beating him. It's a little odd. Enhanced interrogation technique nonetheless, it's a little odd. There's some really cool stuff in this story about Paul and his willingness to to, to go to the people that he knows want to kill him. Even God told him through the Holy Spirit that it's going to get ugly. Are you willing to go? Paul, from the moment of his calling, from the moment of his conversion, had a heart for God to do nothing but what God would have him do. Now, it speaks a lot about his character, and I love his character in this. I, have you ever had someone turn against you? Have you ever tried to do the right thing and had someone refuse it on one hand and then accuse you of actually doing wrong? Have you ever been accused or wrongly accused of doing something you did not do? If you have, what would your response be to that person? I mean, I know that if, if I were preaching the gospel and a bunch of Christians came up and started beating me for preaching the gospel, I'm gonna, first thing, if I'm in a foreign land, I'm gonna, you're I'm a gonna, United States citizen, I have rights. You don't know what you're messing with. Our president well, I'm, I'm gonna want, and then I'm gonna want justice. I'm going to want to know, the. I'm going to remember the face of everyone that hit me. And I'm going to try to get someone to go after them. I want their heads. That's the human response. But not Paul. Paul, so compelled by the Spirit, so called, so assured of, that Jesus was crucified and raised again, that he was willing to say, if he wasn't crucified and raised again, then all of what, all of what we do is ridiculousness. But he, he wanted so much. For his brethren, the people that he know, his people, he wanted them to realize that they missed the mark. He wanted them to see that, that God loves them dearly and that the very person, the very one they've been waiting for, this Messiah, this one that's going to institute the kingdom of God on the planet, that he's come. He doesn't want them to miss it. So even when he's being beat up, he, and he, and he, recur, he gets the blood out of his eyes and he says, can I speak to them? He says, listen to my defense. He doesn't defend himself. He tells a story. He recognizes. He tells them what God is doing, even though the world around him is blowing up. And there's so much stuff going on in in Jerusalem at this time, in Israel as a whole, that they're 10 years away from this major rebellion that gets many of them killed and thrown all over the world. The, 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 The pressure cooker of the political climate at that moment is unthinkable, not unlike today. And Paul, unfairly so, is asked to go, and all these people that are riled up, they choose him to be the whipping boy and he allows it to happen goes in knowing it's going to happen and then still tries one more time to say you are adored by god he was willing to come from heaven to here to hell to back to heaven so that you have an opportunity he just tells his story that tells me a lot about paul he's committed He's strong, and he believes that the grace of God is all he needs, and it's more than enough. But there's more. It tells us a lot about God. God loved the people that are his people but have become his enemies. They're trying to kill people who love God, and they claim to be doing it in the name of God. God loves them so much that he sends a man there to be beaten in his name so that God can tell him one more time, I love you, I died for you, I came for you, I adore you, I want you. Just repent and believe. This is so much God's character. Adam and Eve were friends of God, And they chose to be enemies of God by disobeying God. And God has pursued us ever since. Moses is sent to the Israelites to get them out of Egypt. Why did they go to Egypt? Because they kind of got caught up in stuff that wasn't what God wanted them to do. Time and time, every single prop, well, not every single, but very close to every single prophet that God sent. When God's people who are supposed to love God hate God in the name of God, God sends someone to call them on it. Not because He wants to punish them, but because He wants them to turn back to Him. And what do they do with those prophets? They kill them, they stone them, they bludgeon them. Some of them they tortured and then killed. And so God goes so far as to send His Son. For such a time as this when the world had gotten so bad that only he couldn't send another messenger, he had to come himself. And he came to his enemies to love them. And what'd we do? We beat him. we kill him. And as we're killing him, he looks at the father and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Paul does the same thing. And you will see this over and over and over in Scripture. And the reason I'm telling you this, is because I want you to see the tenacity of God's love. How prodigal, how, how he's willing to just throw it out there that some might respond. It is unthinkable. You can't conquer it. You can't get rid of it. Love is patient. It's kind. It does. See, we think God is love. We hear that. And, but we take God as love and we, we turn it into our heart love. Everything is us. Everything is that's not the love that God is. I mean, that's a part of it. That brotherly love, that romantic love, that's all good stuff. But we we think God is love, and we forget that God is just. God is justice. God is mercy. It's not just that he's merciful, he is mercy, he is grace, he is justice, he is love. And love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not easily angered. It's not self-seeking. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always perseveres. Love never fails. People do, but God does not. And God, over and over and over again in Scripture, shows us how tenacious, how unstoppable His love is. Even Jonah... Jonah, God says to Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell them that I love them and that I want them to change their ways. And Jonah says, Nope, because I hate them. And he tries to run away and God puts him in the belly of a fish and he brings him in. He's spewed out onto the shore. And even Jonah, at the end of that, he's like, I knew you were going to be merciful. What a terrible thing to accuse God of. That is God. That is God's love. And that is the God that you serve. God loves your enemy. As much as he loves you. These people thought they were doing good and right and noble things. They thought they were representing the God of the universe. They had it wrong and they were killing people who actually had it right. And God wanted so much for them to hear one more time that he loves them, that he adores them, that he was willing to die for them. So what does he say? Do not return evil with evil, but evil with kindness. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Blessed are you who have been declared worthy to suffer for Christ's name. See, if you've ever been God's enemy, he did not smite you. He did not strike you dead with lightning. If I I were God, and I praise God I'm not, you would not want to be in the world that I was God over, because those people that were beating up my servant that I called to send there, the ground would have gone away, and they would have been swallowed up into hell. Because that's... Justice in my head, but that's not God. God wants them to hear one more time. So if you've ever done the easy thing instead of the hard one, if you've ever known that God is nudging, it was you. Ever, in January I know it's hard to think about it. we're going to have a heat index of 100 tomorrow. In January, when it's blowing negative23, and you're between 196 and Hudsonville, and you see someone on the side of the road. And you go, I should help him, but I didn't bring my gloves or my big coat. I was just running over to Hudsonville real quick. I'm going to come back, and it's kind of scary, and the wind's blowing, and God help him. But you knew God knows you to stop, and you didn't. Do you think God hates you for that? No. See, God knows you so much and loves you, knows you so well and loves you so much that he expects more failure out of you than you do. But he also expects more failure out of your enemies than you do. And so those people you hate, and I, we don't hate anybody. Yeah, there's some people. The people that actually want harm to come to you, that look at what we believe as Christians and call it evil. We're supposed to represent God and show people grace, mercy, love, peace. And they think we're judging them. And sometimes we are. Those people that want harm to come to you, or that want what we believe to be kicked out of the public setting, God loves them just like he loved you when you were against him. Just like he loved the people of God who claimed to be the people of God, but were actually killing the people of God. He loves them. See, the love of God is tenacious. It is unstoppable. It is of unbelievable power. And it is unchanging. You, it is so big that you can't even conceive of it. But God does tell us that he's patient, he's kind, he doesn't envy, he doesn't boast, he's not self-seeking, he's not easily angered, he keeps no record of wrongs, he's not suspicious. He doesn't want harm to come to those people who hate us. He loves them. He died for them as he died for you. So what is our call? I don't think it's to suffer. Some of us will. Some of us have. But I think, according to Scripture, that we should be like Jesus, that we should be like Paul, and we should even be like Jonah, reluctantly goes and shares the good news anyway. People that hate God's people and people that hate God, people that see good and call it evil, will not be convinced by us winning a debate or bludgeoning them with the truth. They may, they may, they may their heart might be softened up If as they, metaphorically speaking, beat us, we forgive them. As they try to take things away, we get generous and give them more. It's possible that God is calling his people to be more kind and more loving than he ever has before. Because the world that we live in does not believe that God is kind and merciful and graceful and loving. They think he's evil and wrong. So what do we have to show them? That the love of God is unstoppable. So turn the other cheek. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who harm you. Go the extra mile. Do whatever you have to do to represent Christ well. Paul is about to be killed, and all he wants to do is tell the truth about Jesus. Because God called him to and Paul was convinced that the love of God is so important that any suffering is for his sake and it's worth it. How about you? Can you return evil with kindness? Can you love those who hate you? Or are we going to be people that do to people like Paul what God's people did to people like Paul. God, I hope not. Let's pray. Lord, we are so glad that you're God and that we're not. Thank you for Paul's reminder to even when the world is falling apart and everyone turns against him, he was on mission. He loved his brothers and he loved you more and he wanted his brothers to love you the way he does. Lord, give us the courage to speak truth, but to show love. In Jesus' name, for his sake, for your glory, amen. That God who loves in such a relentless, tenacious, and unstoppable way is the same God that just made vows to children. And don't you want that kind of a God who will pursue and never never tire of pursuit of one he's promised. He's marked us as his own forever. And no matter how much we go away, no matter how much we push back, no matter how many times we choose the easy way instead of the hard way, the the wrong way instead of the right way, he will not relent because he loves you that dearly. And he also loves those who hate you. Please remember that his love for you is his love for those who you don't necessarily love. And be a people who at least show them the love of God. Because that's who we represent. He is tenacious and relentless and merciful. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his countenance toward you. God give you his face. Look you in the eye and smile at you. And give you peace. And all of God's people say, amen. Go with and in the peace of Christ.